Welcome to Echo Sunday Service and thank you for being with us today. Echo is so excited to regather. Step one in our regathering plan starts with you. For the month of June, gather around the table. Invite a family over weekly. Gather on Sunday morning or any day of the week. Experience church online together and share a meal. Behind the scenes, we are working on a place for us to gather as a church community. When we solidify a location that will allow us to meet and have enough space for kids, we will let you know. When we know, you will know. During this COVID season, we've been able to continually give back to our community due to your consistent reoccurring giving. If you have not set up reoccurring giving, would you consider doing so today? It'll only take a few minutes of your time and it'll give you the ease of taking something off that to-do list. Just head to our website to sign up. Today, we are learning the art of anger according to God's word. We'll hear some highlights from a conversation with Pastor Andy and sociologist Ron Ferguson. Ron grew up in the U.S. Virgin Islands and Andy is quite envious of his hair. <laughs> to fear to hear the full conversation, which trust me, you'll want to, head to the Echo Church podcast. If you're new to Echo, expect this to last about 40 minutes. We'll start with the Echo Band. You'll hear from Andy and Ron. We'll take a moment of reflection and we'll wrap up hearing closing thoughts. Lastly, let us know how we can pray for you today. Comment on this video or email us your prayer requests. Let's do this together. As we just begin to sing these songs, God, that you would just hear our prayers and our thoughts and our hearts tonight, Jesus. God, I pray that this song would resound in people's hearts, Jesus, that they would open up to you, God, that they would feel you for the first time maybe tonight, God. God, we just surrender it to you and we just thank you for this time of worship and this time of prayer, God.
What if we could learn the art of anger? And I believe if we lean into the account of Mark in chapter 11, we'll begin to glean off how Jesus himself managed anger. In Mark 11, we see Jesus enters Jerusalem. And we know this account as Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And if you can just imagine it, if you read it, you see that people are screaming and they're yelling and they're anticipating a king. And as Jesus rides into town, they are screaming. If I could paraphrase it, I'd paraphrase it like this. Rescue us. Oh, king, rescue us. See, the people are echoing Psalms 118 that says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And if we could just imagine that moment, depending on what side of the aisle you are in that argument or that anticipation, whatever political stance you might have been in that day, if you were pro-Roman or you were anti-Roman, man, you were excited or you were unsure and resting in fear. You were landing in one of those sides in that very moment. Times haven't changed much. But nevertheless, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, this was the news of the day. The city was buzzing. In verse 11, let's continue on. Jesus went into the temple courts and he took a look at everything. Now, just think about this. Jesus enters into Jerusalem and man, there is a party. There's this expectation of this great moment. And what does Jesus do when he enters into Jerusalem? He enters into the temple and he just takes a look. Then it says, but because it was late, he went out. And verse 12, that very next day, he comes back to Jerusalem. And at this point, he's hungry. Again, I I just think some of the details that we read in scripture are just so unique. But Jesus feels something as he's going back into Jerusalem. He is human. I just love how the Bible points out the human nature of who Jesus is. And we're going to find out that Jesus has a human nature here just in a moment. And in verse 15 
On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus enters the temple courts and he begins to drive out those who are buying and selling there. And what happens next is kind of reminiscent of what we've seen here in Minnesota. He begins to overturn the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said this, It is written, My house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. But what you've made it is a den of robbers. I mean, what Jesus is doing at this very moment isn't just this light, go happy, I love the world and I love you type of message we're used to hearing. This is an abrasive, abrasive message, an abrasive behavior. We can sense Jesus' human nature and we can sense anger. We can sense disappointment. And in verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, when they observed this and when they had heard this, they began to look for a way to kill Jesus. Why? Because they feared him. Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And then when evening came, Jesus and his disciples once again went out of the city. And when they returned in the morning, they went along that same way. And when they came to that fig tree, they found it withered from its roots. And I just want to talk today about anger. I want to just lean in and see if we can make a few observations to better manage our anger. The first insight is this, is when Jesus looked, when he came into the temple, He looked and he listened firsthand. He entered the temple and he looked around and according to the Gospel of Mark, he said nothing. And what he did is he walked away and he slept on what he observed. The second observation that I see in this account in Mark is Jesus collects his thoughts. He saw the temple. He saw the temple courts the night before. And like I said, he paused. And what did he do? He left the city. He left the place of where that anger was observed. Jesus chose not to react at that very moment. The third observation that I see is this, is Jesus made his statement, and his stand. Jesus came into the temple, and what did he do? He flipped the tables. He stopped the pigeon or the dove uh, sellers or the dealers, and he also stood in the way of the money changers doing what they were doing. He, he stood in, in the way of the, of, of the people trying to take advantage of the foreigner and those being marginalized. I mean, Jesus could have stood up in, in, in front of the people selling sheep, but instead he stood in front of the people that were trying to sell the smallest item, and that would have been the pigeon. That would have been the dove. See, there were people in the temple courts trying to take advantage of the poor. See, I believe this is Jesus' prophetic protest. I mean, this is the very moment that we see and we read that Jesus had an angry side. 
But let me remind you of this. Those that are getting excited, you're like, man, Pastor Andy is saying that I should protest. You know what? We only read one account. This is what I, you need to hear this. We only hear one account of Jesus doing this, which leads to my last observation. But I have to tell you this. There's a one in 37 ratio. It's the ratio of Jesus flipping tables to Jesus's account of healing and blessing those around him. And again, at the base, uh, the base value of just counting some of those healings and some of those miracles that Jesus did is he flipped tables to 37 miracles. That's the ratio in which Jesus decided and the accounts of what we read in scriptures. In fact, John 21, 25 says something in the way, I suppose that there would not be enough books in the record and the records to, to record Jesus's deeds if we were to record all of them. What am I trying to say? Jesus stood up. Yes, he made his statement, but see, his next move was to surrender to the cross. I mean, we can go ahead and get excited and go, man, Jesus protested and he stood up for the injustice of this world. But the thing that we cannot afford to not see is that he chose to leave a legacy. See, Jesus set up his legacy at this very moment. This was the moment in in time that put the nail in the coffin. Let me say it like this. It put the nails in his hands and into a cross. Leadership feared him. That's what we read. The crowds were utterly amazed by the teachings. And and Jesus understood that this was not a war that was to be against flesh and blood But this was a war against powers and principalities. That Jesus understood that this would cost him his flesh. That this would spill his blood. But he was living for something more than infighting against each other. See, Jesus stood up in his anger. And he fought for justice. But then he followed up with laying down his own life. See, I believe that Jesus understood that rhetoric and emotion would not make the difference, but it would take his life. May we be people that are willing to not only stand up, to take our stance against injustice and, and to be able to funnel some of that anger, but let us be people who are willing to lay our life down to follow Jesus, to not just speak up, to live up to what God calls us to do. I want to take just a few moments and and again invite you into a conversation that I had with one of my friends. His name's Ron. He's a sociologist and he's also from the U.S. Virgin Islands and he has so much insight on how we can begin to manage our anger. I appreciate what you said about what we with anger. I, I don't think anger and indignation is sinful in and of itself. Obviously, it's how do we handle and channel that frustration and anger in a way that, you know, reveals God's justice and mercy. Um, how do we do that in a way that can 
lead to real change versus just, you know, um, doing it in a way that perpetuates more violence, you know, and um, I really appreciate what Martin Luther King said regarding meeting hate with love and how do we extinguish the darkness. Talk to me a little bit about the MLK statement there. To have a film for 10 minutes um, f filmed where there's not even a concern, like where does this go, speaks volumes to me um, about the contempt that one can have for another human being. And where that situation um, happens, that kind of hate happens, what should be our response? Well, we, we should be angry. We should be frustrated. And, and, and how do we meet the rage and contempt that was met towards people? We need to look at how do we, in love, in care and concern for humanity, right work with each other and i think in some ways it speaks well to like allies who can you know work together to accompany others to see that you know if we want to change what happens if we don't want to see any more of these videos what we need to do is is as believers find the humanity in others and see how much it is wrapped up in ourselves can i can i give you a quote this really means a lot to me in this season and it's from an indigenous uh, woman. You might have heard it. Her name is Lila Watson. And it speaks to me how I think about this in love. If you come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together. And I think that meeting hate is to recognize that when we see videos like this, all of humanity's liberation is at stake and having that care and compassion to to speak up and to speak out and to mobilize together towards change is what we need to do i don't i don't think i've ever shared this story publicly i shared it with a few people but when i was young my first incident with law enforcement was a pretty bad one when i was in the islands getting off the bus and i was with a friend of mine who happened to be white um, the island is actually pretty diverse um, peoples and the police stopped me and they asked me what I was doing and I said well I went to a movie with my friend and now I'm going home they said no I'm sure that wasn't the case you clearly are probably selling drugs to a tourist and I said no I'm not and there was some law enforcement officers who saw me and quoted me as a drug dealer was just going to the movies like I did every other week. As a teenager, one of the things that I would do is I would carry my Bible with, I had a little pocket Bible, and I would normally carry it with me because it was a sense of comfort for me, especially when I would go home late at night. And the police wanted to see if I had drugs on me. And they said, well, you know, do you, do you have any drugs on you? I was like, obviously no. And they wanted to search me. And I went to go show them what I had in my pocket. I said, I have this buy and before I could pull it out of my pocket, I got hit over the head really hard. I mean, really hard. I mean, I went to fall, my the little pocket Bible I had went flying. And they said, you know what we can do to you. And they had threatened more violence against me and I found myself crying and begging for my life because I didn't know in the middle of the night whether or not that I would 
see tomorrow. And what I did was, and I had no training or coaching. I said, I live down the street. Here's my parent. Here's my, here's where I go to church. I named people to hopefully humanize myself enough that they would know that they were going to, that I was a person, that I had relationships. And I instinctively did it. It wasn't artful. It was begging and pleading and screaming for my life. And uh, I was angry in that moment. And I was frustrated in that situation, feeling so helpless. And what I've, in my life, in the anger, and that moment still lives today as plainly as it did then. Over the years, my role, um, I went on to say, I want to see change. And I went on to, uh, most of my work is I work with law enforcement today. I mean, I, I work with training. Um, thousands of students in my career I've worked with to go on to get their degree in criminal justice and law enforcement. And a lot of my feeling is I want to see changes in our system. And if I can be part of that, I need to not only care about what happened to me, but what happens to so often so many different people. It's a hard story to tell and I didn't plan on sharing it, but thanks for giving me the opportunity. What I think I just heard you say is some of that anger you experienced that moment, you have channeled into what you do today. And man, I want to applaud you because we need more people like you. You know, knowing you personally being a friend, I've seen you do that. I, I believe if I remember correctly, you were on the diversity council uh, in Rochester and um, it wasn't as a hot topic, I guess, you know, when you were there. But man, uh, that's when it counts when it's not a hot topic. And that's the biggest thing I'm concerned about right now is that there is some, there's a lot of emotion behind it. And you as a sociologist, you know this. What happens after all the emotion leaves? And, and, and that's where the work gets done, right? There, there is a season that the emotion needs to come out. You know, I, I think a lot about what you said to me. I, I appreciate the time when my friends acknowledge just how bad it was and grieve with me. I, I, I felt very alone. The times that law enforcement have pulled me over and asked me what gang I'm in or, or pulled me over and I was fearful for my life, I felt very alone. Or even other times I've been discriminated against, you know, like car dealerships, can you really afford this? I mean, all the microaggressions that I've gone through, I feel alone. But when there is a season that people are with me, they stand together, they see that my human, my lib, their liberty is wrapped up in mine. If they, Ron's not okay, we're not okay. And, uh, you know, I think back to Jesus, you know, it, it's obviously, as you know, the shortest verse in the Bible that's easy to memorize. Jesus wept means a lot to me in my life because here Jesus's friend Lazarus died and Jesus knew what the whole picture was. He knew it's going to work out to God's glory. He, to his glory. He knows it. Yet he took the time. He grieved at what he saw and the loss and the pain, even though he's well equipped to do all the actions needed. And that speaks to me how we as believers, grieving together isn't weakness. It's actually powerful that we, sometimes all we can do is maybe cry with one another. You know, I always think of, I'm a sociologist, but tears aren't, they're not socially constructed. They're, we, we have those for a reason right? Those aren't designed by man. Like we have the capacity to, to, to 
filter through these feelings in, in, in very visceral ways, and, and we need to do that. And so I think the, some, the balance of grieving together is needed, but there is then a season that we need to then channel that grief into action, right? And how do we, how do we get to the action? You know, and one of the things that my, I've done, and, and, I'll, and I'll just keep it short here, is that when you say, well, Ron, well, how do you not just get angry and, and, and well, not take your anger? And, and really, a lot of times what happened is it, I would self-destruct. It wouldn't be like I would take my anger and go hurt others. It would probably be more likely that it would have destroyed me and it almost did. Um, but what I have chosen to do, and, and I give a lot of credit to my faith, is that God changed my life and my heart. Um, and, you know, recognizing who the, who the other is in my life, other people, right? Who's my neighbor, the Samaritan? Who is the Samaritan in our lives? And who's the other? And I really want to know and stand beside those who are oppressed, those that are hurting, those that are lonely, and walk beside them. You know, and I do feel this sense of shared humanity is needed. I really like what uh, both Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela talk about the Ubuntu principle. I follow it in my own life and it's probably unfamiliar to you, to some of the listeners, but it really comes down to this. It's a phrase in South Africa because I am because you are, right? And it was a greeting you gave to someone outside of your village. When they showed up as an outsider to the village, they're visiting you. you. You had this expression of Ubuntu that says, I am because of you are. And it's another way of saying what I said earlier, that our, my life and, and who I am uh, is only made good because you're okay. I'm okay because you're okay. And that is not a principle. It's not a platitude. It's in action. Notice that it was said to the foreigner coming into the community and it was in practice of Ubuntu, not, not just the saying that you said. And I asked, how do I treat the other in my life, right? And I want to really work. It's a process, right? I haven't mastered it, but it's something I work towards quite often. I just want to leave you with four points of, about how we can better manage anger, that we could learn the art of anger. Number one, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, and we're going to learn how to manage that anger, we need to allow ourselves to get angry. But we must remember that this war isn't over flesh and blood. And that we're not meant to repress what we feel, but we need to be people that are real with ourselves and real with God. It's okay to have a real conversation with God. And to be honest, we should be okay with having a real conversation with others. Let me just be honest though. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter may not be the best place to start. I wonder if we'd be willing to just have conversations with people one-on-one and see if we could learn the rhetoric. We can learn a few things from each other before we jump onto our platforms. The second thing, if we're going to learn our art of anger, is limit the use of anger. See, I believe that if we limit our anger, it will become louder. 
when we do speak up. Those who speak less less are heard more. Can we adopt Jesus' ratio? That one in 37. If we could be a person of blessing 37 times more than being known as a community that's angry. The third thing is this. I wonder if we could be quick to listen. See, I believe quick anger is a sign of sick anger. Proverbs 14, 29. This isn't me saying this. This is God's word. He who is slow to get angry has great understanding, but he who has a quick temper temper makes his foolish way look right. I mean, for, the, for those that are angry, and to be honest, I think we're all just angry. I think our boiling points are just at an all-time high. It's so easy to get angry. And I think it's easy for us to just try to make our way look right. But ultimately, that just simply leads to foolishness. James writes to the Christian, and he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And lastly, I want to encourage you to make your statement. Take your stand. Be the change. But we as Christians, let us not lose sight of following Jesus because we're passionate about a cause. Again, did you hear me? Let us stand against injustice, but let us follow Jesus first. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to surrender to Jesus. We need to allow Jesus. Come on, everybody. Let us invite Jesus to come into this temple and flip our tables. Let's welcome him into our life. Let us let Jesus clean our house out. Let us sanctify us, make us clean. Let us let him curse that bad fruit in our life, that he would throw that as far as the east is to the west. Let us let us let Jesus eradicate that sin nature within us. Let us let Jesus flip and destroy some of those strongholds in our life. Let God show us that freedom that we are to live in. And then lastly, man, Lord, would you make me a person of prayer? God, the end all of you coming in and abiding in my heart and my mind is that, God, I would be a person that advocates for all nations and all peoples and all colors and all creeds as I follow Jesus. And I believe that this is all possible if we surrender our lives to Jesus. But we have to allow Jesus to rescue us. We have to let go enough, if not the whole world, in order to take Jesus' hand and to save us. And I want to invite you 
to start that relationship with Jesus today. I want to invite you to pray a prayer that we pray every week. We call a prayer of salvation, which the prayer isn't the answer, but it's a start to say, Jesus, I'm going to live a life that follows you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, and you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me. In Jesus' name, and his authority, amen. And Jesus, I pray that you would come and you would flip our tables. And God, I just sense that actually that's you, you already have. God, today is a day that you begin to clean our house out. That God, you begin to eradicate some of that anger that is not healthy. And God, that you'd begin to funnel that into your work, into your kingdom work, that your kingdom may come in our lives, in our homes, in our city, in this world. Because God, you are doing a new work in me first. In Jesus' name, amen. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken.
Jesus, we lean into you today. Amen. If you prayed this prayer of surrender during the message for the first time or for the first time in a long time, would you text RESCUED to 97000 or email us? We want to connect with you and help guide you in the next steps of your faith journey. You guys are amazing and are making a huge difference locally and around the world. This past week, we had the opportunity to support Pastors Chris and Sarah Griffith, who you heard from last week, as they are launching Rhythm Church in Chicago. It's your generosity that made this happen. You can give two ways. You can text the number below or you can go to our website. If you are able and have the means to give, would you please do so? If you don't have the means and you have a need yourself, do not be afraid to ask. Echo's re-entry plan is to have you meet with families inside your homes. Consider inviting someone or a family to participate in next week's service at your home. Like Pastor Andy reminded of us today, let's be quick to listen. Let's look at the way Jesus responded and flip our ratio. In life, in general, that 37 to 1 ratio is challenging. What if this week we take what is happening around us and find opportunities to unite instead of divide? Like Dr. Ron reminded us today, I am because you are. Let's see each other's humanity. Let's fight for each other's humanity. Jesus, we come to you right now and we pray for you to continue leading and guiding us. I pray for our focus to be on you first, that everything else falls behind that. God, continue to stretch us and show us what it looks like to be the change and to listen to you. In your name, amen.